review, a one-slide review. We've been talking uh, over the last couple sessions uh, about the past forgiveness and future hope. And now we're really going to zoom in on this here and now gap. What has God given for us or to us to fill that gospel gap that we sometimes see in our lives where we only think about the past forgiveness and the future hope? And we're going to start in chapter 4. Or is it chapter 4 and 5? Is it chapter 5 and 6? It's chapter 5. I've got the wrong title on here. Okay. Chapter 5. Change is a community project. All right, that is the right chapter. It's just the wrong number. And in this chapter, he talks about this tension we often feel, that we need other people. They need us. But there's this tension that we also sometimes don't want to actually live with other people. This quote, I thought, from page 65 was spot on. At one level, we want friendships. At another level, we don't want them. Why don't we want them? Well, because people are messy. There was a, a uh, is and was a conflict going on uh, at my old church. Somebody left the church. He was upset about all these things that were wrong at the church. Mostly, he was exaggerating the problems in the church. And I wrote to the, uh, to the new elders uh, my perspective on what had happened. And one of the things I said, there is no, there are no perfect pastors, there are no perfect people, and there are also no perfect churches. Every church is going to have issues, right? The job of the pastors is to know what those issues are and to help uh, grow in those areas. But one of the things that makes church life difficult is that people are messy. And as much as we feel the need for people, we also feel that sometimes they're a drain on us. And so the Bible, as Tripp and Lane point out, when it addresses us, when it talks about salvation, when it talks about bearing one another's burdens, when it talks about all these things, it addresses us both at an individual level and as a corporate level. All right, they, they go out of a, they go along or into a lot of depth about the yous in the New Testament tend to be plural. Right, so when you read you in the New Testament, it is a plural you. He's talking to the church as a corporate body that you together have strengths and weaknesses. And that God has given other people to help us and for us to help them. Uh, that's something we, we really have to, the second part, really have to remember. Because when people become a drain on us, we tend to ask ourselves, is this helping us at all? Well, it may not be, but you're also supposed to help others in the relationship. One of the things we run into, uh, I'm running into more and more, is this idea of, of boundaries. You need to have boundaries in your relationships. Yeah, yeah. I like that facial reaction. What do you think about the boundaries conversation, Katura? Because it's so selfish. Yeah. Just, it's very self-serving. It's, it's what do I need? It's what do I need? It's what yeah. And if you don't serve that for best, then you're Yeah, so the, the basic premise is you need to have healthy boundaries in your life. Then you will find uh, your truest, most happiest self. And if people aren't respecting your boundaries, you need to cut them off uh, because they're toxic. And like a lot of false teaching out there, there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of truth in it, right? So I think you most, you most often see this in, in what I would call young married couples, right? And you get married and you're going through the tension of how do you actually become a new family unit while respecting your parents and actually having the boundary there that, hey, mom and dad, I can't be there every time. And that doesn't mean I don't love you. 
lot of the parents handle that well. Other parents try to control and manipulate their kids, be like, no, you have to do everything as you did it when you grew up. Well, it's a new reality. So there's, there's an element of truth that you need to have boundaries, but what it's become is this selfish nonsense that if this isn't a burden on me at all, then we, we can't really be friends, we can't be in relationship, where Jesus literally tells us the thing you need to do in your life is to lay down your life for others. It's not very boundary-centric, uh, as we put it. And so that's something we need to remember. God has given other people in our lives to both help us and for us to help them. Friendships are, are costly, and that's the way they're supposed to be. They then point out that our need for community is rooted in the image of God. Right? Our need for community is uh, rooted in the image of God. Right? The doctrine of the Trinity informs us as image bearers. I've talked to you about this before in different contexts, but one of the reasons why uh, we desire to be in relationship with one another is that God is an eternal relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in perfect community, perfect union for all eternity, with only one exception in that, and it's an exception that we can't even really fully fathom, and that is the cry of dereliction of Christ on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's some, some break in that fellowship when Christ takes uh, the sin of the world upon himself. But having said all of that, why do we feel the need to be in relationship? Why is it good that man should not be alone? Because man is like God. Man is a relational being. It is not good for you to be alone. And that is primarily applied in Scripture in the marriage relationship, but it's more than that. In order there for there to be community, marriage had to come first because there was only Adam. Adam couldn't reproduce. But after Adam and Eve reproduced, now you have more than just husband and wife. We have community. And so... We are, quite literally, hardwired to live in community with one another. This is why a solitary confinement is a severe punishment. This is why locking down an entire nation or world uh, for a year and a half is not a good idea. And then people wonder why we're having an uptick in deaths of despair and mental health issues. It's because man's not meant to live in isolation and fear. And they, when we talk about this... Um, I, th I found this very insightful, the way they talked about the Trinity in this chapter. All right, everything each person of the Trinity is and does is always in union with the other person. And so Jesus in the Gospel of John will often say, me and my Father are one. He did this, and then in the very next sentence, he'll say that he did the same thing. They are in this perfect union, and this is made or is meant to inform how we should try to live in community as well. That we are made, page 67, in the image of this glorious God. Is it any wonder then that this deep longing for intimacy and relationship is woven into the fabric of our natures? With the entrance of sin, this longing was corrupted and easily becomes idolatrous. If we don't get what we want out of those relationships, we often do hurtful and sinful things. Our approach to relationships is often self-centered. Those last two sentences are very important. If we don't get what we want out of those relationships, we often do hurtful and sinful things. 98% of marriage counseling would be solved if we just understood and applied that sentence. I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship, so I'm going to do something mean. I'm going to give her the cold shoulder. I'm going to be disrespectful to him, etc., etc. 
when we, in our hearts and our minds, we justify that action, well, they should be giving me this because they're not. It's okay that I'm angry at them. Well, it's really not. Um, they then point to the passage in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 as kind of a proof text for this concept. As Paul writes to the church, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Like you should be catching this strong form of, of unity in this passage. He starts by urging them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. What is the foundation of that? Of God, the Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Therefore, you should be one body, one spirit, walking in unity. The unity of the Trinity is meant to picture how the unity of the church functions and really even the unity within our relationships. But there are obstacles to this. They lay out a list of obstacles. We'll go really, really quickly through this. What are some things that prevent us from being in relationship with one another? First one is the first one, the busyness of life. It is very easy in the busyness of life to not actually really get to know people. It's very easy to show up on Sunday morning and know everyone's names and not actually know anybody. One of the things that I think is really hard as a pastor is I actually wish I could get to know everybody really well, but I can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't know everybody as well as I would like to know them. But then that could become an excuse to not get to know anybody. Right, so life is busy, yes, but you still need to invest in relationships. Uh, we can then make our relationships activity or happiness-based. Well, I'm really close with this guy because I played basketball with him my whole life growing up. I'm actually really not that close with him. I just enjoyed playing basketball, and, and so did he. Or more likely, uh, especially uh, in our psycholog psychological day, my relationship is good if it makes me happy. If it's not, then it's not good. We can avoid relationships because they're scary. There is a real problem, especially, especially of young men today, that won't ask girls out because it's scary. It is scary. Jordan Peterson talks about that's the dragon in your life that you've been charged with going and killing. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Be a man. Deal with it. Uh, another obstacle. One-way, ministry-driven friendships. More of a temptation for someone like me. Self-centered, meet-my-felt-needs relationships. That is really how most people approach relationships in general. Uh, a just God and me approach to the Christian life. I don't need other people. We see these with tropes like, uh, I am the church. Well, no, you're not. We are the church. I am not. We are. The church is a, a called out assembly. That's literally what the word means. It's an assembly of people. So God has given us people for a reason. And that is his solution to our problem of needing relationships and depth, in-depth relationships. This is why one of the main reasons why God has formed the local church, not the church universal, the church universal is made up of, of local bodies, but in 
the gospel, or sorry, in the letters again and again, the church is described as one new people and as a family. And then we are encouraged, or not encouraged, commanded to practice the one another's. I think it was Chris Meister who said this when we talked about church membership as a church. Um, you, can't, you can't do the one another's without other people. You can't do the one another's without actually being in relationship with people. And yet they're given in the command voice of Scripture. Bear one another's burdens. You can't do that if you don't get to know people. And so this also teaches us that sanctification or growing in holiness requires help. You're not a Rambo Chuck Norris Christian. And there is no Rambo Chuck Norris Christian. You are meant to do it together. This is illustrated by the idea that the church is a body that has various parts and each one needs one another. It is no small thing to say that one of the primary reasons Christ died was to establish his church on earth of local congregations gathered together regularly to support one another. That was uh, chapter 5, not chapter 4. Any questions on that before we jump into 6? Because I really think 6 is the more important uh, of the two. Questions? You're all going to be best friends now. So do you think this refers primarily to the church body and fellow Christians when it comes to bearing one another's burdens and a lack of setting boundaries as opposed to your relationships with non-believers yeah boundaries. yeah it's it's put in place more as a, a protection yeah than a, makes me feel yeah so um the one another's are most clearly within the church specifically within the local church i have more of an obligation for example to bear help you bear your burdens than i do uh, someone at First Free in Maplewood. They're still my brother in Christ, and if I can help, I should, but my primary responsibility is to you. Just like my primary responsibility for, for raising children are my own children. That doesn't mean I can't adopt someone or some other situation comes up, but like my primary sphere is, is here, okay? And now, of course, even that thinking can be abused and and be used as an excuse to not help someone who's God throws right in your lap. Like, yeah, don't do that. But your primary spiritual interaction and support should come within the local congregation. And that should factor into uh, church choices that you make in life. Now, the boundaries discussion, again, I think there's an element of truth out there. There really are people who try to manipulate and control you, and you shouldn't let them. But even in that... Jesus does say that it's always an option for you to let yourself be wronged, even by a manipulator. Now, I'm not going to be control. I'm not going to let them determine when I'm going to allow them to wrong me. Right? That's going to be something I have to choose wisely, and with discernment and with an end goal in mind. So, if my unbeliever, unbelieving neighbor, I'd say he's just he's a grade A jerk. He's always mean to me. Right. I don't have a neighbor like that, but let's say I did. <laughs> Let me clear that. My neighbors are really nice. Um, I may choose to go shovel his driveway anyways. 
and he may still be a jerk to me. So boundaries, yes, but also sacrifice. So don't let, don't let a person control you through the manipulation, but that doesn't mean that you just, you don't do anything that he doesn't deserve. Like that's grace. That's mercy. That's a way we reach the lost is by giving them a grace they have no right to. I hope that makes sense. And then the second question. Yeah. So I read that he refers to a book by the title, It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian, How the Community of God Changes Lives. When I read that, I thought of the phrase, It Takes a Village. Yeah, okay. Which I don't agree with? Sure how to, yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with. How would you differentiate between the two? Well, so... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was Hillary Clinton who popularized the Takes a Village. Um, and the way she meant it, I wholeheartedly disagree with. But, again, all false teachings are built on a fabric of truth.